0: Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Gracious God, as we open your word, we want to hear your name proclaimed. We want to hear again of what you are doing among the nations. We want to hear again of your wonderful acts, your miracles, your judgments, and your grace. We are Abraham's children, reminders of your promises, so that we might glory in your holy name with joyful hearts. Show us your face, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The New Testament reading is taken from Galatians, chapter three, verses five through nine. It can be found on page 1169 of your church Bible. so again i ask does god give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard also abraham believed god and it was created to him as righteousness understand then that those who have faith are children of abraham scripture foresaw that god would justify the gentiles by faith And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham all nations will be blessed through you so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith this is the word of the Lord
1: please open your Bibles to Genesis 12 it is found on page 13 of your red Bibles We'll begin with chapter 12 and read verses 1 to 10. The Lord had said to Abraham,
2: Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you.
1: So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he went, when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morai at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said,
2: To your offspring I will give this land.
1: So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the the famine was severe.
2: This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Try this. Go without food for 24 hours. And then sit down and grab your Bible and read the book of Genesis. When you're done with the book of Genesis, go and read the book of Luke. Okay? Empty stomach, book of Genesis, book of Luke. When there is a little miniature famine in your stomach, you will not be able to miss this one fact about what you're reading, and that is that the Bible story is all about food. It's about feasting. My Italian family always says, food is love. And they're not wrong about this. Everything in the Bible is about God's love. And everything in the Bible is also about food, it seems. Especially when you're reading passages like this on an empty stomach. You see it everywhere. Food, food. People feasting together. People enjoying food. And in fact, you might say that everything bad that happens in the Bible is about missing out on food. And really, missing out on feasting. Famine is about missing the feast. Think about it from start to finish. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they've got everything that they could want to eat, right? And they've got one instruction. Don't eat from this one tree. And when they decide to rebel, it's their eating that gets them in trouble. And the consequence now is that Food is hard to get. Go to the middle of your Bible, David's famous 23rd Psalm, right? And right there in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, what is David doing? He says, Lord, you have spread a table before me right in the middle of all of my enemies, a feast there in the valley of the shadow of death. Fast forward then to Luke's gospel, for example. I think I've said this before. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is always at a meal. He's just coming from a meal, or he's on his way to a meal. This is my kind of savior, actually. Uh, he's always feasting, and he gets, he gets uh, made fun of for it, in fact. So let's think together, shall we, from this text in Genesis about the promised feast. Let's think about the present famine. And then let's go back and think about the promised feast one last time. The promised feast, the present famine, and then back to the promised feast. So look here with me at verses 2 and 3. This is one of the key texts in all of the Bible. This is where in a lot of ways, things just get started for us. And God makes these promises to Abraham. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. I'll bless the people who bless you. I'll curse the people who curse you. And I will bless Every family on earth through you and your family. And it's important to see that Abraham has not done anything to deserve all of this blessing. What's he been doing? He's been in Ur of the Chaldeans and he's been worshiping false gods like the rest of his family and his nation. But God comes to him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to start something new with you. It's going to be a gift for you, yes, for your family, yes. But you are also going to be the gift giver. I'm going to give my gift to all the nations through you. And if you didn't catch it, the word over and over again here is what? It's blessing. Blessing. Now I've called this promise to Abraham, I've called this the promised feast. Is that just because Sam's hat made me hungry? Just because I had American Thanksgiving this week and a feasting is on the mind? Okay, maybe it's a little bit of that, but think of it this way. Why haven't I called it, for example, God's promised grace instead of his promise feast? God is promising grace, isn't he? But what is grace? Grace is God's unearned, undeserved kindness. And very often as we read our Bibles, God's kindness means that he provides a feast where otherwise there would be a famine. A famine that many times we have earned for ourselves. Blessing from God is more than food, absolutely. But it's not less than food, It's more than feasting, but it's not less than feasting. Think of Jesus. He says, people cannot live on bread alone. People also need to feed on the very words that come from mouth, the mouth of God. And those words will be food for them. Jesus goes further and says, you need to eat my flesh if you want to have life in you. So when we come with Abraham to this crucial moment in history, in human history, we should be thinking about food when we hear of all this blessing. We hear about land, another major Bible promise. And when we think of land, we should be thinking again about food. Land is essential in order for food to come forth. God's promised grace is a promised feast. It's a feast for Abraham, for his family, for all the nations. And it's a feast that's promised by his grace alone. So there's the promised feast, tucked away there in Genesis chapter 12. But very explicitly in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, you have this downer this anticlimactic part. Abraham is in the land that God is going to give him. But we hear what about this land? There is a present famine in this land. Isn't that stunning? God calls Abraham, go out of your land to the land I will show you. Abraham goes. Abraham, this is going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, I'll go. Abraham responds in faith. He goes. He believes what God is saying that God will bless him, that God will bless his children and his children's children, that God would even bless the entire world, all the nations, through him and his family. Abraham is into this, and he goes. Verses 7 and 8 here, he builds two separate altars to celebrate these promises, which for him are as good as true. He's going to praise God for this promised feast. He's going to thank God for inviting every nation to the feast through the invitation extended by his family. And then what? Verse 10, then there's this famine, a severe famine. No food right in the middle of the land of promise. And so what does Abraham have to do? He has to leave again. He has to go again, this time out of the promised land and into Egypt. How could this be happening? I bet that many of you have had something similar happen to you The Lord came into your life. The Lord called you out of your former life. He asked you to believe in almost unbelievable promises. And you believed. And then you showed that belief by obeying his calling. By going where he sends you. You decided that you would obey and follow Jesus and trust him no matter what the cost was to you. And then an awful thing happens in your life. The Lord promised a feast and your experience is a famine. If that's your story, I know that there are those of you here that resonate with that story. If that's part of your story, then I want to encourage you because Abraham, the father of our family of faith, he was promised a feast and he experienced a present famine. He had to leave twice, first his homeland and then the promised land. Fast forward to his grandson, Jacob, also known as Israel, And he is in the promised land and he also experiences famine and has to leave that land. And once again, like his grandfather, go down to Egypt where there is food, another severe famine. And what eventually happens to Jacob's family while they're in Egypt, things go well and things go very not well. And for 400 years, This family of promise, meant to be in the land of promise, feasting in God's presence, experiences slavery under the tyrant pharaohs of Egypt. Promised feast, present famine. When we look at Hebrews chapter 11 in our New Testaments, there's a whole story of all the different people who experienced something like this themselves. Let me just read it for you. The text says they were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised promised feasts, present famine. But think about this. The Christmas story itself is actually a lot like Abraham's story. In fact, the story of Jesus is, after all, the story of Abraham, the story of Israel. The story of Jesus is the story of all these people in Hebrews chapter 11. Who trust in God's promised feast, that it's coming, and yet then experience a present famine. And the Lord Jesus himself, as soon as he is born, what happens to him? He is forced also to flee, isn't he, as a refugee? And his family hides in Egypt for two years because King Herod wants Jesus dead. Sam and I, along with uh, my wife Ellie, we were in Egypt in February of this year for a conference with other international pastors and their spouses. And we got to do some retreats, and we got to see lots of different places, and we got to meet Egyptian Christians. Here's the thing. Egyptian Christians are really, really proud, aren't they, of the fact that Jesus and Mary and Joseph came down and hung out in Egypt. In fact, there's a legend. Almost every village in Egypt that has Christians in it, they have a little spot where apparently the Holy Family went and stayed at least for a couple of nights and really enjoyed themselves, right? And they're proud of this. Jesus was here. Mary and Joseph were here, they want to tell everyone. But look, for Jesus and for his parents, This was not like a royal tour. I don't know if you're watching The Crown, uh, that every now and then the royal family or parts of the family goes on royal tours of the commonwealth or the empire, right? This is not what Jesus and his family are doing. They are refugees. This isn't an exotic vacation for them. This is for them a famine. And it's a famine after... A promised feast. God promised all of these things to Abraham, right? Blessing, blessing, blessing. But didn't God the Father, before Jesus went, didn't he promise these same things to his dear son? Didn't the Father say to Jesus, I will make a great nation out of you, a new people. Didn't the Father promise to make Jesus' name great among the nations? Didn't the Father promise to make Jesus a blessing to all of the nations? Didn't the Father promise to bless anyone who blesses his son, the Lord Jesus? And didn't the Father turn to Jesus and say, I want you to go And didn't the father promise that once he gathered a people from all nations that Jesus would then enjoy a great feast with them? And didn't the father watch as his son trusted him and obeyed him? And then as soon as he trusts and obeys and he comes into the world trusting, obeying, and born right into the middle of Judah, right in the heart of the land of promise, among the people of God's promise, he has to flee to Egypt. Promised feast, present famine. Have you believed God's promised feast only to experience a present famine? I can't tell you, none of us can tell you why your story is shaped that way. It would be foolish for me to just try to make sense of that experience for you. But here's what I can do. I can tell you that if your story is shaped like that, promised feast, trusting and obeying, going, following, present famine? If your story is shaped like that, well, then it's also shaped the way that Abraham's story is shaped, the way his family's story is shaped. Your story is shaped the way that these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is shaped. And it's also shaped like the story of the Lord Jesus himself. We would like him to But God doesn't always tell us why we need to experience famine in the present when there's this pile of promises of feasting. He doesn't tell us why. But here's what he does say to us in Jesus. God is able to say to us, and he says it, I know personally what it's like to go through the famine On the way to the feast. And after all those promises, the Lord Jesus, who is known as the bread of life, he's the one that gives feasting and life to the world. The Lord Jesus experiences, doesn't he, the ultimate famine. His cupboard uh, is empty, it's empty of advocates, people that would stand up for him, empty finally of friends and followers empty of physical strength, empty of emotional well-being, empty even ultimately of the presence of his dear father, empty finally of life itself, all on the way to the promised feast. He went through this famine and he went through it on purpose, trusting and obeying. Why? so that he could feast with you, with me, with us. And that brings us back finally to the promised feast once again. Friends, the goal of human history, our Bible tells us, look at Revelation chapter 19, is a thing called the marriage supper of the lamb. When God and people will eat and drink and be merry and joyful together, with the Lord Jesus sitting at the head of the table and raising a glass to us and telling us, And he's calling the nations, even now, to come and feast with him, to feast with Abraham's family. And he's calling each of the nations that we belong to, out of which we come, also to come and feast with him. To come from the places of our famine to eat at his table. To come to the feast, even if on the way to the feast, the famine gets more severe for us. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, Many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven a marvelous pro- promise the table being extended out into the dining rooms of every nation but right after the lord jesus says this people will come from east and west he also gives a warning he gives a warning to the people that are already sitting there near the table and his warning is this don't miss the feast Don't miss the feast. I think he's especially saying this to churchgoers like us. People that aren't just in the pews on Christmas Eve and Easter, but on the first Sunday of Advent, or on the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, or whatever it is. We're so close to the table. Don't miss the feast, Jesus is saying. Don't miss the feast. And friends, even now, this Advent, the table is being extended. It's being extended here to us. It's being extended out to every nation on earth. And this Advent, the invitations are in the mail and they're being sent. And this Advent, the places are being set at the table. And Jesus has gone there to... Prepare these places for us. And he says, I will advent again. I will come again so that you can be with me, so that we can feast together. So friends, this advent, don't miss the feast. No matter what sort of famine comes along, The message of the entire Bible, from Abraham to Jesus, is this. It is absolutely worth enduring whatever famine you suffer in order to enjoy the promised feast. Jesus has endured the worst famine of all in order to feast with us, with our family from every nation. Friends, feasting... (laughs) Feasting isn't just stuffing your face with food. Americans sort of give that impression sometimes. And famine isn't just a lack of food to stuff in your face. Feasting is celebration. It's communion with others over food. And famine is the awful hunger for this communion. So no matter what the famine is that you experience between the promise of a feast to come and the reality of that feast to come, it's worth it. Don't don't miss the feast. Gracious Father, we thank you for bringing us into the family of Abraham by faith in our Lord Jesus, the bread of life. We pray that As we trust in him this Advent, we would sense the table being spread before us, that we would see our little name on the cards in front of our place, and that we would be determined, no matter what, not to miss the feast. Thank you that it is your desire, you are the maker of heaven and earth, and it's your desire to share communion around the table with us. Thank you for these glorious promises to Abraham and to Abraham's children's children. We claim them by faith and now we trust you as we go facing whatever might come in order to finally sit at the table with our gracious Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in him and to obey him until his advent comes around once again. And we make our prayer together in his name, amen.